You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded whores. Hi, lovelies. Welcome back to 50 Plus a Tip. I'm your host, Danica. And today, Riley and I are joined by Bella Green. Bella is a stand-up comedian, writer, and sex worker living in Melbourne, Australia. She got her start in comedy by telling jokes in brothels to anyone who'd listen. Now she tells jokes in some of the best comedy rooms in the country. Her debut stand-up hour, Bella Green's Charging For It, answers all the questions you never thought to ask about the adult entertainment industry. It won Best Comedy at Adelaide Fringe 2020 and was nominated for Best Comedy at Melbourne Fringe 2018. Bella was guest on the Willa Sofi podcast in 2020 with Will Anderson describing her as, in quotes, a brilliant stand-up comedian. And she also has her memoir, Happy Enderings, which was released by Pan McMillan in 2021. As you guys know, Riley and I listened to Bella's book on Audible, Happy Endings, and it is fucking hilarious, and we were dying, and you guys are going to absolutely love listening to Bella Green's interviews, so here you go. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Bella. We are so excited to have you here. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. So shout out to the listener who actually sent me your Instagram after they saw you do your live show. They were like, hey, I've just been in Australia and I've listened to this stand-up comedian who's a sex worker and you need to try to connect with her um, and get her on your show. So we did it. (laughs) So shout out to them. So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you first got into sex work and what avenues of sex work you worked in? I've worked in too many avenues of sex work. Um, I started when I was 18 working in peep shows. Um, From there I moved into strip clubs and then I got utterly burnt out by stripping and took about seven years off. And then I started working in a BDSM dungeon, uh, moved from that to erotic massage and then went from there to brothels and then moved into independent uh, full service. So lots of things. <laughs> so you're well versed. Out of those ones, what do you think is how, was your favorite to be in? Um, I love brothels. I do independent now, but I kind of miss. Like I feel like I've gotten too tired to work a brothel shift these days. Like I just can't do it. But I do miss the camaraderie of working with other girls and just the stupid things that happen in a brothel. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I guess like all the admin work is now up to to you as well, and. For me, like, that's the part that would really drain me. I think the part that bothers me about private work the most is it's just, like, not that busy. I think um, I'd love more admin work. <laughs> I'm just not <laughs> ever that smart in inquiries. Um, so it's really nice when private work's busy and you're like, yeah, I made all this money this month. And then as long as I just have dead months where nothing happens. Whereas if you're working in a brothel, at least like some money comes in sometimes. I don't know if I'm just the most unsuccessful independent <laughs> escort in the world, but I'm never busy enough to care about admin. Um, I am pretty lazy though. I put so much more effort and time into comedy and writing than I do into sex work. So maybe that's why I'm quiet. <laughs> do you find that like your comedy audience kind of overlaps with your like clientele like do people see you in one and go to the other yes absolutely so when I got into comedy and I started having some success with it I told my private clients what I was doing and they all started coming to my shows and then yeah it works the other way around as well I've had guys start booking me because they've seen me do comedy so yeah it's it's weird but it's also really cool you're like shitting on them and they're like yeah I want to I want to get booked (laughs) but this person that's definitely going to make fun of me on stage next week I thought I would never get booked again once I started mixing the two things I was like who the hell exactly who wants to see me if I'm gonna tell stories about them but they love it they're like they want to be part of the jokes and they want to be in the book it's really funny I think that's something we we um, worry about a lot we try to keep our podcasts pretty private from our clientele um but I think it's also we too shit on them <laughs> yeah but I think we shit on them in a little bit probably less humorous way than you do <laughs> So we probably can't get away with it. Um, And I think ours is definitely more uh, sex worker facing. So that's probably why they hate it. (laughs) 
That's funny though. Like I do a bit where in my show where I shit all over like the kind of clients that like the review board culture clients. Um, and then I've had like guys that are notorious review board guys come onto my Twitter and be like, I came to your show. I loved it so much. And I'm just imagining them in the show being like, Oh, that's not me. That's those other shitty guys. That whatever review board there is. Not all men. Uh, <laughs> what are the laws in Australia surrounding prostitution? Oh, it varies so wildly from state to state. In Australia, we're about to get decriminalization in Victoria, where I am, which is very cool. Um, currently, we have legalization, um, but it wildly varies. Like in South Australia, sex work is still criminalized. Um, they have decrim in New South Wales and Northern Territory. It's all over the shop. So we have some pretty outdated laws in a lot of places, and we have some of the most progressive laws um, in the world, in other states. Yeah, that's insane. I, uh, I didn't realize it varied so much from like state to state. I mean, New Zealand is, it's decriminalized and I just assumed that actually I did hear the thing about Victoria, but I just kind of assumed that they were the tail end of it. Mm. Yeah, not quite. I mean, I think it's everything with New Zealand and Australia. New Zealand is doing what we wish (laughs) New Zealand was doing. You guys always seem, you know, a million steps ahead of everywhere else in the world. To be fair, we're on a smaller scale. (laughs) Yeah, true. Um, Do you mind breaking it down for the listeners if they don't understand what um, decriminalization is and what we're at now and where you guys are moving it towards? Um, I can give it a crack. I'm not the expert on this stuff to be sure, but, um, decriminalization, which is like the ideal model basically means there's no criminal codes around what we do. Um, so sex work would be licensed in the same kind of way bars are or any other club where, you know, you're not breaking criminal law by going outside of the regulations. So currently in legalization, we have a ton of things you can't do in Victoria. So it's illegal to have an in-call in Victoria. You can only do out-calls. There's just weird little things like that. Um, And, you know, if you have an in-call, you're breaking the law. Um, Whereas under decriminalization, there would just be regulation like any other business. Interesting. That's kind of a strange line to draw, I guess. Like you can do it, but not in your house. Like, yeah, it's I not mean, it's under same, your roof. <laughs> very similar to here, how you know it's legal but illegal, and they dance this kind of weird line. We have a Nordic model here in Canada where it's legal to sell sex; it's illegal to buy it. Um, yeah, so riddle me that. So. Obviously, like we said, you have this book and we had the pleasure of doing the Audible um, because we were driving around working and it was super convenient to have hours of you, which I find it so funny now listening to you talk. So I'm like, I've spent six hours listening to you talk (laughs) and read a book to me. But yeah, so we listened to it on our drive um, back home to and from, I think, um, going out of town to work. So your book is called Happy Endings, which I love the title. It was super awkward. I was driving my parents the other day, and I have my Audible books come up on my screen. It's like Happy Endings. My mom was like, what's that? I'm like, what? Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. But what made you decide to write the book? Um, sex work, obviously, is still a pretty taboo topic in most circles. Uh, were you hesitant about telling your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I wanted to write because there's a fair few sex work memoirs out there, but I feel like they're all either like secret diary of a call girl, high end, like, you know, I make millions of dollars and I'm a fancy escort or they're like, I was a sex slave trafficked victim. And I wanted to read a book by someone who worked in a brothel for $85 for half an hour. You know, that's what I wanted to hear about and what I was doing. Um, so I thought I had a like more unique perspective than what I'd seen out there. Um, but yeah, putting it out there was terrifying. <laughs> um, like the whole world can read my entire life now. It's, it's terrifying. It's really scary. Yeah. I, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like we, we talk about, um, sex work betrayal and, uh, all types of media. We review a lot of things as well. And it's very much the two, um, kind of sectors it's the victimization of sex work um or sex workers or it's this like glam 
um, extravagant life that only few reach. So it's it's really nice yeah. to have something that's finally relatable and talks about all the like weird and gross and like and the mundane, mundane yeah, yeah. Mund- mundane things that go on and like the realities of it. Yeah, yeah. I find that a lot of my stand-up comedy as well is based around like the point of most of the jokes is why my job is mundane and boring. In the same way, your job is mundane and boring. Like that's what's funny about sex work. What's funny is people have these expectations of us and are always wildly surprised by the fact that it's a boring customer service job a lot of the time. <laughs> Um, and that's something we talk about a lot too, is like, it's like a nine to five, you know, it's not all these like crazy, like jet, jet plane trips and, you know, champagne and caviar or wild stories, Louboutins, Louboutins, red bottoms every day. I mean, here's to hoping, (laughs) (laughs) but the reality is not so much. Uh, however, in your book, you do cover quite a few not mundane situations you were in. And you tell us about a client you had who would randomly text you d- times, and usually they would be the times that he would text you at. It would be like 12.30, he would text you 12.30. But then they started to do random times. And obviously we were left hanging. Like, what happened to this guy? Why was he doing it? So did you ever find out why he was sending you those random times and, and what happened with this client? No, I have nothing. I have no closure. It kills me. I think about him all the time. Um, I think that's like my favorite part of the book, actually. Um, So for those who haven't read it, do you want to do a better summary than I just did of of what the situation was? Yeah, I had like this really cool booking with him. Like I spent many hours with him one night in a brothel and he asked for my phone number and I gave him my work phone number and thought I'd never hear from him again. And yeah, I just started getting these text messages. Like it would be twelve twelve at twelve twelve, and then one eleven at one eleven. I was just like, I have no idea what's going on. And this went on for like three months, most days. And they just started getting totally off the mark, like four forty three at twelve fifteen. And I'm like, you know, him and I had indulged in the pipe together, so I'm pretty sure he was smoking ice, like a lot by himself and yeah a lot of people when I've told that story have been like oh my god my ex-boyfriend smoked meth and he did that as well he thought there was all this significance in the time like oh now we know (laughs) did you ever like reply or no you were just like I'm I'm gonna play out (laughs) I was like I'd obviously been doing drugs when I sent him, when I gave him my number. And as soon as I was not doing drugs, I was like, that was a dumb idea. Um, So I did not get involved like one iota after that. I just saw all these text messages roll in and was like, what is this guy doing? (laughs) And then then one day he just disappeared. We'll never know. If you ever get an update, please, we want to be the first DM you send. We need to know. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So you also say in your book, um, in quotes, embrace the weirdos, um, besides the time guy on meth, uh, what are some of the weirdest things you've encountered in your job? Um, the weirdest thing I've encountered is definitely the scat fetishist I met while I was working in a dungeon. (laughs) Um, I don't know, maybe scat fetish isn't that weird, like... I guess there's a lot of people. I've actually got a friend. She's a mistress, and she says it's, like, her most common request because she advertises that she does it, and apparently there's a shortage of people that are willing to crap on you for money. Um, But, yeah, I tried it once, and it was an absolute disaster. Uh, I kind of had the runs, and it went really badly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's probably the weirdest thing that's happened to me. Uh, Yeah, that was a part of the book that we – giggled about literally right before we started um uh this recording with you and we definitely talked about it in the review of your book as well and I just think that the audacity of him to like turn around and say that like 
it was embarrassing for you is just such an ode to but, men. <laughs> but the, the, like, the chair on top was the fact that in the book you describe it as, like, he had, like, poop still smeared around his mouth when he, like, had the audacity to turn to you and be like, I'm just embarrassed for you. <laughs> like, we were, like, we were dying in the car. We, like, were around it again just to, like, laugh at it. Um, oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had quite a good – we've had quite a few laughs over it. Um, have you – I guess you haven't attempted – anymore and like for those people that don't know what the term is she's using it's referring to like fecal like poo um poo fetishes so have you had I hate the word she knows I get so uncomfortable saying the word poo and like I don't know why I have like an aversion to the term but yet you say it like three times and you're like fecal is poop I got like awkward saying it I don't know why I blame my mother I swear there's some weird therapy I need to go to for sure. So I guess you haven't uh, done it again, um, but hopefully if you ever do, apparently there's a, like a diet you're supposed to have, uh, apparently. Um, yeah, what is what is that diet? Like, yeah. I'm just curious. Do we know Look, the I'm diet? I'm a pretty girl. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you go paleo. I'm not, I'm not very consistent. I started taking Metamucil. <laughs> I'm trying to get more regular. <laughs> um, yeah, there's this thing called uh, Dubai porta potties. Have you heard of this? No. Because everyone here knows that there's a thing called Dubai porta potties where these really, really rich men in Dubai will pay you hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to shit on you, or they'll apparently like there's some like bestiality that they'll do and like all this crazy stuff and they'll pay like absurd amount of money for it and it's called Dubai porta potties um so yes I believe the poo thing is a very real thing especially in certain areas of the world and especially with certain men that have a lot of money and have nothing better to do <laughs> yeah so you're welcome <laughs> not yeah that's what we get asked a lot when we're on interviews they go um like what's like yeah like when just like we asked what's the craziest thing about your job and our answer is always how like the craziest thing is that nothing's crazy anymore you know like that's the craziest part of it everything just has a different price like, yeah 100%. they're not crazy they're just more expensive <laughs> agreed so kind of as we were just talking about as sex workers what we find funny or odd or weird can differ greatly between us and squares. Um, and you've been so successful in your career with comedy. What do you think makes your story so relatable to the outside world? Um, I don't know. It's so funny because so many people told me they related to the show and they liked it, like normies do, civs. And I'm like, normies, really? I love that. Why? <laughs> I guess like it is that thing of, yeah, relating to like, oh, this job is just customer service. Um, it must be. But the real like satisfying thing is when sex workers say they related to it. Um, like that's everything. Like I definitely made my show like it's by a sex worker for sex workers. And if anyone else happens to like it as well, that's a nice cherry on top. But yeah, it's for hookers. <laughs> that's what it's for. <laughs> I love that because I feel like a lot of um – like media and that that is about sex work is so to be consumed by clientele instead and kind of just uses us as clout or uses us as a way to bring people in. So it's nice to have something that's by a sex worker for sex workers. And we greatly appreciated your book. So thank you for gearing it towards us. Thank you for your service. (laughs) So also in the book, there's a quote you have. So as you can tell, I'm a huge nerd and I literally took like notes on your book and like quoted you a lot. (laughs) So there's there's a quote you have that says, rejection is a staple of the strip club. No matter what gets thrown at you, you're back again the next night to do it all over again. And that, my friend, is fucking true. Uh, do you have any tips for listeners on how to handle rejection? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I didn't last in strip clubs for very long, probably because of that. Um, I actually went on a whole radical feminist kick for like a year after I quit strip clubs. Um, I got introduced to this woman who was like, I think sex work is exploitative. And I was like, yeah, I felt like I had a horrible time stripping um, and got on that train for a little while and went to see some rad femme speakers with her. Like, in hindsight, I'd, like, absolutely die cringing thinking about this. But I think I got mixed up for a while thinking that 
stripping wasn't for me and therefore stripping shouldn't exist, which I obviously no longer think at all. Um, but yeah, getting rejected every night left me feeling like absolute shit. Like, yeah, I think that's just why I work in different avenues of sex work now. Um, because I can't handle going up to groups of guys and being like, Hey, do you want to dance? And then being told no a million times. Uh, Yeah. It's for more resilient women than me and good on them. Do you think that the rejection in strip clubs differ from the rejection at a brothel? And if so, like how? Yeah, so I have worked in pretty much every brothel I've worked in has private intro, which basically means the guys sit in a little room and the girls go in one at a time and you do a little 30-second spiel about who you are and what's in your service. Um, And it's so easy for me to go in there and be like, hey, I'm Bella, I do this, I do this, do you have any questions? And I can tell instantly if he's going to book, if he likes me, you know, I know not to waste any more than 10 seconds if I think he's full of shit. And I know there's going to be another 50 intros and they come to me. Like I don't have to go around talking to guys, especially I think in strip clubs as well, guys are being watched by other guys. So they have that bravado and that need to be like, no, I'm not paying for dances or, you know, making you feel crappy in a way that they don't do. And it's just one of them looking for sex. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I could see that also too, especially with like the independent, um, like freelancing, uh, I feel like you're putting an ad out there and you don't know how many people have said, looked at that ad and said, no, you're just getting all the yeses to come to you. Right. As opposed to yeah. in a club where you're having to walk around and people are blatantly saying, no, I don't like your hair. No, I don't like your tits. No, that girl's hotter. No, this like X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think a hundred percent, I agree with you with the bravado of like that pack mentality of men where it's like, yeah, let's shit on women, bro. <laughs> Love it. It was cool activity to do together on the weekend. Shit on women in a nightclub. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either that or just you know, especially at a strip club, you then have to like get up and walk to the dance room with that person. And maybe guys just like don't want to be honest with like who they're attracted to, or they are picking women who they think that um, they should be attracted to. So maybe there's an element yeah. of that. Like when you single out a guy and it's just him, like yeah, yeah, I can do that for yeah. sure. And- I think I see that heaps from looking at, like, the kind of um, workers that are successful in both of those, like, arenas. Like, I think you do have to be, like, quite stereotypically, like, you know, like, you're – I think you can be, like, over a size 14. You can be over 40 and be successful in a brothel in a way I think it's very hard to do in a strip club because guys love all kinds of things. They want to fuck MILFs. They want to fuck fat girls. Like they love all different kinds of women. And, you know, if they don't have to, if they can do that privately and not be embarrassed in front of their mates for not liking the stereotypical attractive woman, you know, they're way more willing to do it. Yeah. Definitely. No, I can definitely see that for sure. Okay, I'm going to quote more of your book. We're, <laughs> we're actually just going to read your book back to back you. Back to you. <laughs> but there are so many good quotes. So in your book, Happy Endings, you say, um, in quotes, the shame of being a prostitute that ran rampant among strippers was still with me. Um, we call that the hierarchy. so the whore hierarchy. Um why do you think you felt that way and what caused you to switch from that way of thinking? I assume that's not your train of thought now, hopefully, because you're talking to two strippers. So. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I don't know. I just think it was the culture when I started stripping. There was definitely this thing of like, we are not prostitutes. Like we're better than them because we don't touch dick. We just like grind up pussies on it in the private lap dance room. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's a thing of, like, we need to feel like if we shit on other women, we don't feel bad about the fact that we're actually all sex workers. Um, that was just the culture when I was doing it. So I was stripping, like, 15-plus years ago. Like, things have definitely changed a lot as well, I think. I don't think the hierarchy is as rampant as it was then. Um, it's still there. Um, and yeah, I was reluctant to go into full service because of that kind of thing of like, oh God, is everyone going to find out I'm just a prostitute? And then I found out I loved being a prostitute. So, (laughs) you know, I think it's now really important to reclaim that 
and I will happily call myself a prosy rather than saying I'm a full service or saying that I'm a sex worker because like I have no shame around what kind of sex work I do. I'm very happy for you to know that I put dicks in me. Like that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Am I going to use a quote? Okay, I'm going to use another quote. Uh, So also in your book, Happy Endings, you share in quote, that sex work involves making people feel seen and heard and held and validated. When you like them, it's really rewarding. But when you don't like them, it's like pulling teeth. I think me and Riley can both very much agree it's great when a guy buys you an hour at the club and they're fun and they're entertaining and they're like, minimal effort and then you get some asshole who spits when he talks and wants you to backflip on the on the lap during a lap dance and nothing you do is good enough and you're stuck with this fucker for an hour so we totally agree with that feeling of it can be super fun and time can fly by or it can be like fucking pulling teeth so what percent of wow, what percentage of work do you think was the rewarding type versus the percentage of pulling teeth? And what would determine that for you? Um, currently, I reckon 75% of my clients are fun, good, awesome times. That's because I've been working for long enough that I've got really good regs. Um, and I like them. Most of them are wonderful. There's a few that I'm like, yeah, I'd be real happy never to see you again. <laughs> but most of them, um, I really enjoy the company of. They're great guys. Um, but I think when I was doing brothel work, it was more like, uh, maybe even the inverse, like 25% were awesome and 75%, maybe like 25% made me want to die a little bit inside and 50 were forgettable. I think, doing brothel work. Do you have any advice for those who want to start exploring freelancing, how to get the good, not pulling teeth clients, and what are some of the most valuable rules that you've learned doing, um, like, uh, freelancing? Um, I think the most important thing is finding unique branding that stands out for you. Um, Authenticity is huge. Like clients respond so well to authenticity. Um, And I don't really suggest everyone go as far as I have and put your real name and the fact that you do stand-up comedy on your ads. Um, But it's definitely worked really well for me. And when I was doing indie work with a persona and a fake name and all that stuff, I thought I was doing a really good impersonation of being like an authentic GFE experience. Um, And then I switched to working under my real name and I would tweet about doing too many Xanaxes or picking my nose. Or, and, like, guys booked me way more. It was really funny. Like, I think they really want to feel like they know the real you. And they want to know – like, they want that to be more so than what we think is, you know, an acceptable amount of real. Like, they actually want to feel like you're human. Have you ever been concerned about your safety, putting your real um, name and – your location for stand-up comedy, anything like that out in the open? Yeah, look, no one's come to a gig to hunt me down and kill me yet, which is really good. I have slightly fudged my real name, which is really smart because uh, I like applying for apartments to rent and having <laughs> my new landlord not Google me. That's, that's great. So it's like a slight variation of my real name which is, yeah, pretty much all the safety precautions I've taken. This all may backfire horribly on me one day, but for now, eh, I just decided to do it and I'll deal with it. It's future Bella's problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to be the person that continually quotes your book one more time. So there, (laughs) in your book, you explain how sex work has changed you. And I really related to this, and I think a lot of sex workers would. Um, you sh- shared that before sex work or before hooking, um, you needed someone to go home with you at the end of the night to validate you. And then after, or during hooking or after hooking, um, you couldn't really be bothered most of the time. And you thought it was because it was you had so much sex is what people would equate it to. But it really is because you know that you are undeniably, as you say, fuckable and you make a living off people wanting to fuck you. Um, and you know, you acknowledge, you know, I'm not, you say I'm not the hottest or the sexiest or the most beautiful girl in the room, but I have funded my entire life with my sex appeal for six years. 
I think that's super relatable. Um, I, mean, I speak for myself, and I tend to speak for Riley too, whether she wants me to or not. <laughs> but I think we both can relate to that idea that, um, you know, we don't really like I, I don't really wear makeup or do my hair or anything off my days off work, and I can look like a total bum walking around, and I still have this like maybe unwarranted confidence <laughs> because I know I have yeah, like you said, funded my life on the idea that people want me. Um, before I got into stripping, I would never be caught without makeup or hair done. And I constantly needed people to tell me I was pretty to feel that. Um, so I do really relate to that. How else do you think sex work and, and hooking has changed you? Ooh, um, that's a really good question. It was a long-winded one, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, yeah, it's definitely my confidence in myself. Um, I guess not just, like, sex appeal, but my personality as well, which I don't think I ever thought was that bad. But, like, I can talk shit for an hour and a guy will literally sit and listen to it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's given me less tolerance for bullshit as well. Like, I do not make eye contact with men or small talk anywhere. Like a man can walk down the street and like stop me to ask the time. And I will like, I won't even make eye contact. I will not fucking say no. I will just like, I have not seen you. I have not heard you. I'm going to keep walking because I'm not getting paid to acknowledge you in any way, shape or form. Like I do that for a job. You are not getting a single word out of me off the clock. (laughs) A hundred percent. I am very much that person. I was visiting my mom the other day and there was a guy like, (laughs) maybe it's just like me, my, also my trust in people maybe has lowered as well because I've seen all types of people in this industry, but, and I just have no patience for men at all. And I was at my mom's house and uh, a guy was like walking by her house and I called her. I was like, who the fuck's that guy outside your house? And she's like, I think he just lives here. I was like, lock your fucking door. What a creep. And she's like, I think it's fine, Danica. I was like, "Uh, call me later. Let me know. And he looked at me. I was like, what? My mom was like, please don't scare my neighbors. Like, (laughs) but I have like such limited patience and such limited trust in people now. Um, but yeah, sex work is great. Everyone should get into it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I completely agree. I think that my need for validation has decreased just from like outside people. And my tolerance for men has also decreased. (laughs) Your poor boyfriend is like, fuck me. I can't do anything right now. (laughs) (laughs) He came up to me today. He's like, you love me. Right. And I was like, if I didn't, would I hang out with you for free? Like, (laughs) You're like, I'm going to start turning. Danica taught me better than that. (laughs) Danica would never allow it. (laughs) So obviously, like we said, you know, you have been super successful with your stand-up career and that's so great to see. And your book is hilarious and I'm sure people are going to love it. But what has been the general reaction to the candidness of your career in sex work? Have you had any surprising reactions to it? No, it's been really good. Um, I've always just been waiting. Like when I started stand up, I was waiting for people to heckle me and tell me I was a whore and a slut. And it just never happened. Like people are good and positive and supportive. Like the most annoying audience members I get are like really drunk Karens who are like, yes, girl, it's amazing. Um, and like to like talk over my punchlines. Um, that's about it. And the book's been really good too. I was like just waiting for people to say horrible things about either me as a person or the quality of writing. And as a whole, it's been received really well. I've only had good reviews. Like, yeah, it's been good. And it was scary because the, the couple of months before it came out, I think I threw up every day in fear of just getting shredded for any reason. I was also really scared of getting canceled. Like, I've said a few things that I thought were quite spicy opinions in the book. Like, I did a lot of ragging on baby hookers and I was just so waiting for everyone to be like you are terrible and you are now cancelled by sex workers everywhere and it was actually the opposite it was kind of the same thing as the clients who think they're not the bad clients like I ranted a lot about shitty baby hookers and then I had a bunch of people I would consider to be baby hookers on like Twitter being like, yes, girl, I totally felt that bit about how annoying baby hookers are. Like they are the worst. And I was like, oh no, oh, that was, that was about you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that just totally reminds me of the fact that like every guy who's like 
at a, I mean, we do like private like strip parties and stuff. It's like every guy that always comes up to us and it's oh. like, oh, you know, if the guys aren't good to you, if the guys like aren't spending money, like let me know. And it's, it's always the fucker that isn't good and not spending money, you know? Or like if any guy's <laughs> rude to you, like let me know and I'll handle him. And then three shots in, he's the rudest fucking guy there. And you're like, but who do we call out you on? Like, <laughs> it's always Who's next in charge? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to talk to the management. <laughs> but it's just like the lack of self-awareness. Oh eh? my God. 100%. Um, how has your book been received by the people closest to you? Ooh. Um, to be perfectly honest, I haven't heard from my family since. Oh no. Um, oh. Drama. No. Juicy. <laughs> I haven't heard from my mom. But I'm pretty sure she's read it, and I know she listens to a lot of stuff I do. So, hey, you can call me, Mom, if you're listening. I'm, I'm open to that. Hi, Mrs. Uh, Green. Yeah, we- <laughs> 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 um, yeah, other than that, my friends that made it into the book are all stoked to be there. I think my best friend is sad because she didn't make it into the book, which is crazy, but she's not a sex worker, so it just kind of didn't happen. <laughs> but, um, yeah, everyone else was happy. Yeah, she can't sit with us. I'm just joking. <laughs> so, also in your book, <laughs> I was hoping Riley would jump in no, for some I, of I, saw the, I saw the beginning of the question and I was like, I'm just going to sit back. She's letting me just make a fool of myself and really quote your book to you, but that's fine. Um, so, in your book, Happy Endings, uh, you shared that an interviewer asked you if you were empowered by sex work and you said no and said that it was more empowering the first time you went on stage as a sex worker and found nothing but love and acceptance. Can you explain that a bit to us? Um, yeah, like I don't find sex work empowering and people so desperately want for us to say it's empowering. They absolutely want to believe that we're like goddesses who are, you know, validated by I don't know what they want us to be validated by but they want us to be empowered um and like there's just nothing empowering about it for me it's just a job like any other um it's empowering to be financially independent that's pretty awesome um but like getting on stage and being like I'm a sex worker and knowing that you're a voice for other sex workers who can't necessarily be face out like that's awesome that's so satisfying it's so empowering like that's what's empowering for me yeah we constantly say that's such a question that we get specifically from squares um (laughs) and they just don't understand that it would be like asking a barista or asking a server uh does this job empower you like yeah why is it a requirement for our job but literally a requirement for no other job that they be empowered by it it simply can just be a fucking job like, do they ask drug dealers, like, are you empowered by your... <laughs> the answer is yes, they are. <laughs> they are empowered, actually. <laughs> they are the most empowered. <laughs> so that was a great segue, speaking of drug dealers. Um, Thank you. Set you up right after that. <laughs> so obviously, uh, sex work can be one of those avenues where partying and drugs and alcohol are super readily available and accepted in a lot of cases encouraged. Um, you know, we've talked about it before on the podcast that... Um, They'll request party girls, so girls that do drugs, um, and that kind of cuts off anyone who doesn't do drugs, so people can feel the need to start doing drugs in the industry to be more wanted by clients. Are you able to speak on your journey with addiction and rehab? Yeah, for sure. So I don't think sex work really was why I was doing so many drugs. I just always really liked drugs um, (laughs) from, like, a fairly young age. Uh, They've just always appealed to me. Um, But, yeah, over the year I wrote the book, like, the kind of year before it came out when I did most of it, um, I was using so many drugs. Like, I found the pressure of trying to write and especially trying to write during a lockdown um, was killing me, like, absolutely killing me. So I was munching through... Um, so many uppers and downers every day and by the time the book came out I had pretty much lost my mind and yeah I went to rehab I think three days after the book came out and spent a month in there and now I'm 70 something days sober and I'm a little peaceful beacon of meditation and yoga well congratulations yeah that's that's really great um, I, I mess. Well, we we listened to the book like literally as soon as it came out. Um, I think I had like the 
the the date written down when it would come out, and I got it on uh, Audible as soon as it came out. And I messaged you as soon as we finished it because we finished it in like two days. And I was like, hi, can I have you on the podcast? I just listened to your book. And you're like, I'm in rehab. And I like, <laughs> I turned to Riley. I was like, I love her. I love that she was like so unapologetic about like, hey, actually I'm in rehab. But when I get out, I'd love to. <laughs> I was like, I like this. I like this woman. Uh, so do you have any advice on how to deal with being in such like a drug forward environment if that's something someone is tempted by or struggles with? Not really. So we are still in hard lockdown here in Melbourne, Australia. So I haven't actually gone back to work since I've been to rehab. Um, And I don't do a lot. Like I do some party bookings. I don't do heaps, but I definitely drink a lot with most of my clients. Not most of them, but like I have quite a few where we, yeah, always drink. And I'm like, I really hope they still want to book me now that I don't drink. Um, yeah, I know tons of girls know all the fake tricks of, like, how to, like, position the straw to make it look like you did a line, but you didn't really. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe I have to learn all of those. I'm not sure. We'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is It is a tricky dance when you don't – like, this is literally your livelihood, and it's sometimes really frustrating, like, as Danica mentioned before – um, sometimes the gigs like specifically want party girls. It is frustrating when your job is kind of dangled in front of you on this this one thing. Like, and I could imagine that so much. Like, that's amplified when you're trying to like step away from it. Like, I can go to a party, and if people are I don't know doing whatever, then it's it's I don't you know it's, it doesn't really bother me. But I can imagine for someone who is trying to like really take a step back from that and recover from an addiction that that's a really difficult position to be in, especially when it's your livelihood at stake. Mm-hmm. I think it's like choosing the kind of work I want to do moving forward as well. Like there's no way I'm going to the Coke Den brothel I used to work at in Sydney ever again. Like I know if I put myself in that situation, I would be racking up quick smart. Um, whereas I think indie work here should be fine. Like there is a, situations I will and won't put myself in now um yeah I think I can control that somewhat yeah do you have uh any advice on how to face addiction or perhaps help someone who you suspect or know is struggling with an addiction I reckon it's really hard to help anybody else other than be non-judgmental and let people know that you're there for them but to get somebody else into help is really hard to do unless they want to do it themselves Um, If you are struggling with addiction, my best advice is to have private health insurance. Um, I did not, and I somehow swindled my way into a fancy private rehab under, like, they have, like, limited spots for people that don't have insurance that they give out, like, lottery tickets. Um, I happened to, like, stumble upon that. Um, I now have $300 a month insurance in case I ever have to go back to rehab because the place I went was like we called it club meds like it was <laughs> <Not that. laughs> so beautiful and amazing I spent all of my time like watching Netflix on the big screen and having my meals brought to me <laughs> like oh it was real nice so you get health insurance that's that's my recommendation yeah I think that's the most tempting thing about doing drugs is get to, to get this rehab for me like <laughs> I've never been tempted to do drugs until now Jesus yeah I am um, <laughs> I think that's a good advice for any independent contractor and especially like any sex worker, like get health insurance because not only if you get sick, you have to take time off, but you also have to fork out the money for it. Um, so yeah, definitely. Uh, on a bit of a lighter note, I've recently seen this trend on TikTok where they're like going around little like rehab centers and looking at all the quirky things that are in there. And I uh, also spent re- uh, three months in a rehab-like facility. Um, it was an inpatient treatment center in New Zealand. Um, and we, I definitely had an interesting experience. The nurses would like come and check the washroom before you flushed. They would like come shine a light in your face every hour to make sure you're breathing like during the night. Um, yeah, all types of things like that. Uh, what were some of the quirky things that you found at rehab or, or something that you just kind of chuckled to yourself and was like, mm, only here. <laughs> Ooh, um, I, just the annoying things you couldn't, couldn't do. Like I had my razor for my legs and you had to like check it out from the cupboard and you could have it for 10 minutes. Then you had to go give it back. 
And I checked my razor out and they just never asked for it back. Um, and then I tried to bring in a hot water bottle. I just wanted a hot water bottle for my cold feet in the like blasting aircon of rehab. And they were like, oh no, that's dangerous. You can't have hot water bottles in here. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like attack someone with boiling water out of a <laughs> water bottle. But apparently my razor was fine, but hot water bottles are not. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was an inpatient treatment center, they only had instant coffee. And like, I mean, New Zealanders like Australians take their coffee very seriously. So my dad bought me in this coffee mug that had a like filter um, coffee, like French press mm. built into it, but they wouldn't let me have it because you can't have specialized, like I was in for an eating disorder, so you can't have like specialized cups and cutlery and stuff. So they took away my fucking coffee. <laughs> no. Yeah, we only had instant coffee too. And one of the other wards had a coffee machine and we would literally queue up at the nurse's station every morning and like beg them to walk us to the other ward. And they would be like busy doing medications and shots and things. And we would like take us to the fucking coffee machine. You don't understand. I've given up everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Every Monday we took a a field trip to the blood clinic to go get our blood taken. Fun. (laughs) Yeah. It was was, like the only outing that we had. (laughs) We're like into the van. You like plan your outfit for it. You're like big down. (laughs) Love that for you. We got to read like the magazines because we obviously weren't allowed magazines because they had pictures of like Sugar skinny people. <laughs> so like oh sit there God. and like sneak the magazines and like the like, doctors like, like, like look at her bony hips, yeah. uh, like touching herself. <laughs> <laughs> look at those collarbones, lucky bitch. <laughs> uh, oh, trauma. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> Sex workers, they're just normal people too. <laughs> uh, so we're just about done here, but we wanted to le- give you a chance to let us know what are the biggest takeaways you hope people take from your book slash your story? Oh, that sex workers are people just like you. And you probably know a ton of sex workers. Like you probably think you don't, but you absolutely know sex workers. Um, And I think it's really smart to think about why you know sex workers that aren't out to you. Like, what about our society makes people have to hide things like that? Um, Yeah, that's what I would like people to take away. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to ask yourself, why aren't they comfortable telling you? Why are people needing to hide something that's so, um, just like a basic human need? (laughs) Yeah, so rapid. We're everywhere. So before we let you go, uh, we always ask the guests three questions. They're kind of like rapid fire questions. So the first one is, what is one thing on your sexual bucket list that you haven't done yet, but you want to try? Um, probably a male, male, female threesome. Mm. Fun. I've had plenty of female. Oh, rapid fire. I won't explain. Keep going. Oh, go <laughs> Carry on. Shut. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> Tell us more. I've just had a million, like, two girl and a guy threesomes. I never get two men and a girl. I desperately want it. Like, two bisexual men. Let's go. Do you work with a lot of, like, male hookers? Chigolos, I guess? No. no, Like, I know a few from, like, being online Twitter mates or whatever, but um, I think they're far and few between. My ex was a gigolo in Australia, and Ooh, he had like you some put them in contact. I actually should. He's actually he has like two babies and a wife now, but he's been like itching to get back into the industry. So maybe I should just. I know his wife already hates me, so I'm probably, <laughs> and now I'm like encouraging him to sell his penis. But <laughs> it's a good one, so he should. But I'll link you guys up <laughs> anonymously. <laughs> So the next question, what is one thing you've tried sexually that you probably wouldn't do again? Um, I think I'm done with anal. I think I'm done with stuff being in my butt. I just don't like it. Sometimes I like it. On really rare occasions, I'm like, yes, but definitely professionally no one's allowed in my butt anymore because I find that people are just not gentle with it. Mm. And my butthole needs to be treated like a delicate flower. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Love that for you. Uh, and the last one, if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? 
Oh, God, I would not like it because I've had the world's attention for 30 seconds a lot, um, obviously not the whole world. Um, I just don't think what I've got to say is that important anymore. And, like, I've said everything there is to say about sex work to death, and now I just want a really nice, quiet life. Like, I just want to, like, adopt cats and never leave my house and become a recluse. Like, I have my own sense of self-importance has definitely deflated over the last year. I think the biggest thing people should do if they want to hear your 30 seconds is go check out her book, Happy Endings. It's hilariously written, super candid. It's a really truthful, honest, um, realistic view of what sex work really is about. And yeah, you really just like bear it all and, and it's hilarious as fuck. So yes, I in our review, I have um, compared it to also, like, uh, Jack the Stripper's Beaver Show, mm. that, like, Yay. same type of vibe. Um, so if you liked that, you'll definitely love Happy Endings. Yeah, so definitely go check that out. Bella, before we let you go, can you please let people know where they can find you? Yes, I'm on social media everywhere, at Bella Greenery. That's pretty funny, right? Like, it's meant to be a Dank Nugs reference, and now I don't do drugs anymore, and I'm <laughs> at Bella Greenery. Um <laughs> But, you know, I think I'll keep it. So, yeah, at Belly Rennery, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Awesome. And Riley, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at underscore Riley Divine. Awesome. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at 50plusatip or email at 50plusatip at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Bella. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's nice to finally speak to you rather than just hearing you read stories to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been lovely. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful week and happy whoring. Bye. Fifty Plus a Tip is brought to you by Bright Future. Bright Future is a Canadian-owned company that makes all-natural, premium-quality microdosing products. Their products are designed to stimulate focus, creativity, energy, and boost your mood while decreasing stress and inflammation in the body. Check them out on Instagram at get.brightfuture and on their website, getbrightfuture.ca. Use the code TIP15 at checkout to get your discount. That's T-I-P-1-5 to get your discount. Truly Lifestyle Brand is an all-natural, cruelty-free skin and hair care company that will have you looking and feeling your absolute best. Use their code TRULYPLUSATIP for 10% off your online order. Temptations Avenue Lingerie is a Canadian-owned lingerie brand with a variety of styles, ranging from sexy and wild to demure and sweet. Check them out on Instagram at Temptations Avenue and use code TIP25 to get 25% off your entire order. That's tip 25 Loveify is a Canadian brand that is focused on self-love and pleasure. They're all about empowering women and encouraging them to express their sexuality openly in a judgment-free environment. Click the link in 50 Plus a Tip Instagram and use code 50 Plus a Tip to get 10% off your order. That's 50 Plus a Tip to get 10% off.